this morning. Looking forward to um, beginning this week of Easter celebration. Today is a day that we call Palm Sunday. It's a day that we celebrate where Jesus makes his triumphant entry into the city of Jerusalem to make the declaration that he is indeed the King of the Jews. On Friday, we're going to come back together and we're going to celebrate Good Friday. Looking forward to that. It's going to be a time kind of like last year, but we're going to have some different stations this year where we're going to travel through throughout the church, and we're going to remember um, what Jesus did for us on what we call Good Friday. Um, And then we'll come back together on Saturday for our Easter outreach, and then on Sunday morning, we're going to come together, and we're going to celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's going to be an amazing week, and looking forward to what God is going to do. If you have your Bibles, turn with me this morning to Matthew chapter 21. We're going to be reading together verses 1 through 17. Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 through 17. This is what God's word says. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go into the village in front of you and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say the Lord needs them and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet saying, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the fowl of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road. Others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, it is written, my house should be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priest and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. And they said to him, do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes, Have you never read out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies you have prepared praise? And leaving them, he went out of the city to Bethany and lodged there. The crowd on this particular day will cry out before King Jesus. And they did cry out, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. In a few days... There will be another crowd that will gather together and they will, will at Pilate's request, they are going to have a choice to choose between two criminals. One was a criminal who had done um, vile things, Barabbas. And the other was a man that was falsely accused, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ. And these that are part of this crowd are going to have a choice to choose between Barabbas and Jesus to be released. 
And they are going to choose the releasement of Barabbas. And then Pilate is going to say, what should I do with this king of the Jews? And they are going to cry out, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Let me ask you this question this morning. Why did the crowd that worshiped Jesus on Sunday turn on him Friday? Have you ever asked yourself that question? Have you ever wondered why in the world did people with their mouths declare that he was the king of kings, the Lord of lords on Sunday, and then by Friday they turned and they denied that they ever knew him? We have often condemned the characters that played a role that final week of Jesus' life. We have condemned those that worshiped Jesus on Sunday and denied him on Friday. We have condemned those that turned the temple into a money market. We have, we have condemned Peter who denied Jesus not once, not twice, but three times. We have condemned the Roman soldiers that whipped Jesus, that beat Jesus, that, that, that hurled vile insults toward Jesus. We have condemned them because they nailed his hands and his feet to the cross. And we have condemned them because they, 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 they shoved that spear into his side. I know that I am guilty of playing the blame game. I have more than once condemned those that did not stand up for Jesus, but instead abandoned him at the time that, that, that he needed them the most. Here is the reality, though. Everything had to happen that happened that final week in order for scripture to be fulfilled. We can be angry with Peter. We can be angry at those guards that were responsible for crucifying our Lord. Or we can recognize that all of this was part of God's redemptive plan for mankind. There are so many things that took place the final week of Jesus' life. This morning, we are going to just focus on Jesus' entrance into Jerusalem and then Jesus' subsequent entrance into the temple. By way of background, the setting for the triumphal entry occurs during the Passover celebration. The Passover celebration was one of three festivals that the um, the Jews would celebrate every single year. All male men were required to go, to go to Jerusalem three times a year to celebrate these feasts. And many times family units would also go together. It is estimated that this particular Passover celebration, there were as many as two million people that crammed into Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. When you think about the events of this day and this week, you know that it was not by accident that Jesus would make his triumphant entry during the Passover celebration. You see, Jesus will come the final sacrifice ever needed on Friday. There will never be another lamb to be sacrificed on behalf of the sins of man because Jesus will be the final sacrifice ever needed. And not only will he be the final one ever needed, he will be the final one ever permitted by God the Father. Let us begin this morning by looking at point number one. It is this, the triumphal entry. In verse 1 of Matthew chapter 21, we read, Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, within our reading this morning, we read of the greatest parade this world has ever seen. There has been some amazing parades that all of us have watched probably over the course of our lifetime, Macy's Parade and other parades that you have been a part of, but none of the parades compared to this particular parade. There will be one entry. 
It will be the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. The crowd that had been marching with Jesus for many miles in many days will line the streets and they will begin to declare out of their mouths, they will say, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. It must have been a sight to see. I wish that I could have been there on that day and lined the streets as Jesus marched into Jerusalem. As he comes into, um, before he goes into Jerusalem, there's scripture that must be fulfilled. And so Jesus turns to two of his disciples in verses 2 and 3, and he tells them to go into the city, and there they will find a donkey tied and a colt will be there. And he says, untie them and bring them to me. How in the world did Jesus know that there would be a donkey and a colt tied up in Jerusalem or in, in this village? You know how he knew? He knew because he is God and he is sovereign. There is nothing that he is not, does not know. There is nothing that he is not aware of. That was true then and that is just as true today. There is absolutely nothing that God is not aware of. There is absolutely nothing that God does not have control over. He is not surprised by your sin, by my sin, or this world's sin. He is not surprised when the ground shakes below us because of an earthquake. He is not surprised when the hurricane hits the Gulf Coast. He is not surprised when a hailstorm comes through this area and causes millions upon millions of dollars worth of damage. He is not surprised. When you get the dreaded news from the doctor that you have cancer, nor is he surprised when those we love are diagnosed with a tragic illness. He is not surprised by any of these things. We may be surprised, but God the Father certainly is not. Not only did Jesus know that there would be a donkey and a colt tied up, he also knew that the owners of those animals would quickly release them over to the disciples. When asked, Jesus told the disciples to say these words to these owners, the Lord needs them. Can you imagine if you lived during the first century, then all of a sudden you've got two precious animals that are in, in, in front of your house and they're tied up. And all of a sudden these two men come and they take these animals from you. I mean, it'd be equivalent today of you sitting out on your front porch and, and two men jump into your minivan. And what are you going to do? You're probably going to freak out, right? You're probably going to go up and knock on the, the, the window of your minivan and ask, what in the world are you doing? And then these men are going to say, the Lord needs them. What would you do if that occurred? Well, what these men did is they quickly released over to these disciples these two animals. Notice that Jesus instructed these men to say that the Lord needs them. He did not instruct them to say our master needs them or our teacher needs them or our rabbi needs them. He says the Lord has need of them. The God of the universe has a need for them. Why did Jesus specifically give the instruction to say Lord? He gave this instruction because Jesus is officially making the declaration that he is not only master, teacher, and rabbi, but he is also the Messiah. He is the long-awaited king that is coming into Jerusalem to rule once and for all. For three years, Jesus has been instructing those he healed to tell no one about what he had done. 
But that is no longer the case. The king is getting ready to enter into the holy city. And everyone is about to be amazed at what they're about to see. But before that happens, scripture must be fulfilled. We read here in Zechariah 9.9 that a 500-year-old prophecy is about to be fulfilled. And, and Jesus quoted this, but we see here in Zechariah 9, 9, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the fowl of a donkey. This is significant because every Jew knew the scripture. And they knew that certain things had to happen before, um, before Jesus, the Messiah, was to come. And this This is one of the most important scriptures that had to be fulfilled. They had been greatly anticipating the coming of the Messiah since they were first banished from the Garden of Eden. Now the Messiah was there, and he was about to ride into Jerusalem to make his presence known. Dr. Ross writes these words. He says, The core of the oracle is that the king would enter the holy city with humility and peace, riding on a donkey, on a colt, the fowl of a donkey. Kings at times rode on donkeys in times of peace. And the Jews certainly knew that Zechariah 9.9 was a prophecy of the coming king, the Messiah. Thus, we may observe that Jesus was proclaiming his Messiahship, his fulfillment of scripture, and his coming in peace to offer salvation to the people. But this entry... By this entry, Jesus was compelling the people to recognize him, at least for the moment, as the coming king predicted in Zechariah. After these disciples returned with the donkey, we read in Matthew 21, 6-7, we read this. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them the cloaks, and he sat on them. Jesus takes his seat upon these animals, and he enters the city unlike any king ever before. For a number of weeks, for, for, for several years, Jerusalem had been hearing, the people of Jerusalem had been hearing about this Galilean that had been doing remarkable things. They had heard how he had healed the sick, how he had restored the sight to blind, how he had delivered the demon-possessed, how he had healed the leopards and made the lame to walk, and how he had raised the dead to life. In fact, the day that he raised Lazarus from the dead, we read this in John chapter 11, 45 through 46. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Do you see, did you see what was happening here? Because of what Jesus was doing, people were getting saved. People were believing in Jesus for salvation. They were proclaiming him as the king of the, and their Lord. When the spirit of God begins to stir within the hearts of men, that is not something that can be kept quiet, is it? And that's exactly what was happening in, in the lives of these Galileans, exactly what was about to enter um, into the hearts and lives of many people within Jerusalem. Jesus Christ was coming. And, and you cannot but recognize and be in awe of what was about to take place. So you can be certain that the word had been spreading about Jesus. When the celebration begins, the crowd lays their cloaks and their freshly cut bomb 
palm branches on the ground for King Jesus to pass over. It'd be equivalent of you and I rolling out the red carpet for a king or for a dignitary. That is exactly what was happening as Jesus began to traverse his way down that mountainside toward the city of Jerusalem. The, the red carpet had been rolled out. And now what is about to happen is the people in Jerusalem are about to be amazed at what they are seeing. In Matthew 21, 9, we read what people are declaring. The men and the women that are before Jesus and coming behind Jesus are proclaiming, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Can you imagine what was was happening on this day? Can you imagine that scene? People are screaming and they're worshiping and they're shouting out that the son of David is entering into Jerusalem. They're saying the Lord of heaven, the Messiah, King Jesus is coming into Jerusalem. These people for thousands of years had been anticipating the king that would come into Jerusalem, would deliver them from their sin and also deliver them from, from from the bondage that Rome had placed upon them. This was an incredible scene. It must have been. In verse 10 and 11, we read these words. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. R.T. France in his commentary wrote these words. As a result of the exuberant behavior of the pilgrim crowd outside the walls, Jesus arrival in the city causes a commotion. In Matthew chapter 2, 3, we read that all Jerusalem was alarmed along with Herod at the news of the birth of a new king, king of the Jews. Now that king is presenting himself to the city, and again the whole city is disturbed. Any announcement of a Jewish king could only mean one thing. That is this, trouble for the Roman government. At the first announcement of a new king, what did Herod do? Herod sought out Jesus to kill Jesus. And because he couldn't get to Jesus, he ordered that all male children, two years old and younger, be put to death. Now Herod is gone, but the Roman government is still very much in control. And when they get word that one claiming to be the king of the Jews had entered into Jerusalem, it was a clear threat against the government, against their, 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 their reign. It was a threat. Notice our second point this morning is this, the triumphant encounter. The triumphant encounter. In verses 12 and 13 we read, And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you you make it a den of robbers. The first place that Jesus went when he entered into Jerusalem, was the temple. He went to his father's house. Mark gives us a different picture than Matthew does. Mark says that that Jesus came into Jerusalem, he went to the temple, and then he retreated um, for the night. But Matthew doesn't report that. He gets straight to the point, and, and he quickly gets to the point, and he wants his readers to know that Jesus was not satisfied with what he witnessed when he entered into Jerusalem. When Jesus walked into that temple some 2,000 years ago, his heart was broken. 
Scripture says that, that I mean, you can just sense the anger that you read in Scripture of how Jesus responded. You may be thinking, doesn't God's Word tell us that we are not to get angry? Yes, it does say that we are not to get angry. But there is a difference between the anger that Jesus demonstrated, which was a holy anger, and the, different, and, the, and the kind of anger that you and I usually demonstrate. I know that when I get angry, most of the time it's not a holy anger, but it's more of a rage-filled anger. There is a difference between a rage-filled anger and a holy anger. Jesus was angry at what he was witnessing because his house had been turned into a den of thieves. David Dykes um, said these words. He says, there was a certain amount of commerce that had to take place on the Temple Mount. Pilgrims from other countries had to change their coins into a Jewish shekel because it would have been blasphemy to offer a coin with a graven image stamped on it. But the money changers charged exorbitant prices to exchange the money. Pilgrims had to have animals for the sacrifice, but the crooked merchants were in cahoots with the corrupt priests. If a pilgrim brought a lamb from his home, a priest would have to approve it before it could be offered as a sacrifice. The priest would disallow the lamb and direct the pilgrim to his buddy running a business selling approved lambs. The pilgrim would trade in the lamb, pay more money, and the lamb dealer would turn around and sell the lamb that the priest had earlier declared unacceptable. And so what was happening is these people were robbing all of, all of these men that had come to worship the Lord and to offer up their animals as a sacrifice on behalf of their sins. That is what Jesus walked up upon that day. That is why Jesus was angry. People had come from all over to make restitution for their sins, but the crooked priests and the money changers were all about making a profit. And they did not care about the fact that, that, that men had come to celebrate the day that God demonstrated his grace on behalf of the people of Israel when he delivered them from Pharaoh's captivity. There was a day when there was a physical temple And it was in that temple that sacrifices was offered up to God. Today, do you realize that you and I are the temple of God? You and I are the temple. Today, you and I are living sacrifices that are to give demonstration on a daily basis of the glory of God. We are to give demonstration on a daily basis of what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. In Romans chapter 12, verse 1, Paul wrote these words, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Today, God's glory does not rest inside of a building made by human hands. Today, God's glory dwells within us. In 2 Corinthians 6, 16, we read, what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Folks, God's glory today rests within us. We are to be living sacrifices, willing to commit all of ourselves for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ to reaching the nations. Jesus entered into Jerusalem some 2,000 years ago on a mission with his eyes fixed upon a hill called Golgotha where he would die on a cross 
for our sins. His mission was clear. He was to become the final lamb to ever be sacrificed for the sins of man. And upon his death and resurrection, Jesus made this declaration to his disciples and to the crowd that had gathered on, on, on the day of his ascension to take his rightful place next to the Father. In verse 4 of Acts chapter 1, we read, And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. The Holy Spirit has come. And the Holy Spirit dwells within us as believers. We are the temple of the Lord today. How are you and I using our temple for the sake of the glory of God? Are we guilty like the religious leaders and the money changers? Are we allowing things of defilement to enter our lives and corrupt this temple where the Lord dwells today? If so, then we need to repent and we need to make sure that this temple that the Holy Spirit resides in will be a holy place that God can use when we go out into this world, encounter people and encounter people and share the good news of salvation with them. Let's let this place be a place where God's spirit dwells, his Holy Spirit dwells and not a place of condemnation. Notice our, our last point this morning. It's this, the triumphant praise. In verses 14 through 17, we read, and the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. And they said to him, do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes, have you never read out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies? You have prepared praise and leaving them. He went out of the city to Bethany and lodged there. Who was crying out on this particular day? Hosanna to the king. It was the children. It was the children that were worshiping the Lord and declaring the Lord, the glory of the Lord before all the people. You know, this morning we had an opportunity to see um, our children lead out and praise, didn't we? You know what these children did? Man, they declared the glory of the Lord before every single one of us this morning. And we can learn from them. As they shouted out and screamed out, Hosanna, we too need to shout out and scream out, Hosanna to the King of Kings. Just as he prepared praise within our children, he expects praise from us. Sometimes life gets hard. Sometimes life does not go our way. Sometimes we lose sight of the prize, don't we? During those times, you know who is there to put his arm around us? It is the Lord Jesus Christ. We read in Romans eight twenty six. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. You know, there are some times in life that we need the Holy Spirit to put his arm around us. We need the Lord Jesus Christ to put his arm around us and to encourage us and to intercede on our behalf to God the Father. As I was preparing for this message, I came across this illustration. Um, and I'm sure that I probably watched this game 
or at least heard of this, but I had forgotten. In 2003, the Dallas Mavericks were playing the Portland Trailblazers in Portland for a playoff game. There was a singing competition that was going on, um, I guess, the weeks leading up to this event, and the winner of that competition was given the opportunity to sing the national anthem at this playoff game. And the the winner was a 13-year-old girl named Natalie Gilbert. Natalie um, begins singing the national anthem. And when she begins to sing, I mean, she has the voice of an angel. I mean, she does a beautiful job. She gets a couple of lines into the national anthem, and she just froze up. I mean, she's singing before thousands of people, and she just freezes up. The crowd begins to cheer, and as they're cheering, you would think, well, that's going to be what she needs to get her, her, herself started again. But I think what that did is it made her even more nervous. And as she became more nervous, the, the coach for the Portland Trailblazers, Maurice Cheeks, comes up to this little girl, puts his arm around her and begins to whisper in her ear the words to the national anthem. And as he's whispering these words before long, she just, she remembers and she begins to sing the national anthem. And as she sings the national anthem, you have, you hear Maurice Cheeks also singing the national anthem. And then in this YouTube video that I was watching, you could hear the entire crowd as they began to sing out the national anthem. You know, this young girl, um, got nervous. She froze up and she didn't know what to do. But when Maurice Cheeks came and put his arm around her, there are times in our life when life gets hard. It gets tough. As believers, we feel like we are all alone in this world. But I want you to know right now, the Lord Jesus Christ is right here with us, with his arms around us, encouraging us to run this race of life And run toward the price. May our worship be just as 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 amazing as the worship happened on um, this Palm Sunday. As Jesus entered into Jerusalem, the crowd sang Hosanna. And then as he went into the temple, the children cried out, Hosanna. Folks, what happened 2,000 years ago will never be forgotten. Because what happened 2,000 years ago in the events that took place um, this Passover week happened so that you and I this morning could be in this place worshiping the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, worshiping our Savior. Worshiping the one that left heaven full of all of its glory and came to this earth and dwelt among us. Jesus dwelt among us. He lived a perfect life. He went to the cross and he died for your sins and he died for my sins so that you and I could experience life. All of us in this room are sinners. The Bible says in Romans 3.23 that for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The word sin means to miss the mark. It's like an, 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 an archer as he goes to shoot an arrow toward the center of a bullseye. What happens is that archer, when he misses the mark, I mean, that's the equivalent of sin. God has ordained for us a certain life, and that life is to be a holy, pleasing life to him. But sometimes we miss the mark.
And because we missed the mark, we must be reconciled to God the Father. We must be reconciled to our holy God. And the only way that you and I can be reconciled to God the Father is to place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Ask him to forgive us of our sins and declare with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. And the Bible says in Romans 10, 9 that if we do that, we shall be saved. You may be here this morning. And as you look back on your life, you realize that there's never been a point in your life where you've asked Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sins. And you've never made a commitment in your life for Jesus to be the Lord and Savior of your life. If that is you this morning. In just a minute, I'm going to be standing here at the front. And I want to invite you to make the greatest decision that you could ever make. And that is to repent of your sins and to place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You may be here this morning and the Lord has, uh, you've been visiting a while and the Lord is leading you to become a member of Friendship Baptist Church. If that is you, we welcome you and your family to Friendship. You may be here this morning and as you think about this um, Passover week, this week in which we celebrate and remember what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. You may right now need to begin to get prayed up. You may need to begin to get prepared up through your prayer time and and through scripture reading. And you need to begin to get proclaimed up and start asking the Lord to reveal to you who you need to invite to sit next to you next Sunday so that they can hear the truth of God's word as it is preached. And I'll make this commitment to you. Next week, we're going to have a gospel presentation. There's not going to be a single person that, that, that comes in here that will not have an opportunity to respond to Jesus Christ. So if you invite your friends or your family members or your neighbors, know that that's the kind of message that will be preached as we celebrate the day that Jesus Christ conquered death and rose to life so that you and I, too, can have life. Let's stand together. And I'm going to lead us in a time of prayer. Uh, If there's a decision you need to make, invite you to come. If you need to come this morning and trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior, there's no greater decision that you will ever make over the course of your life than that. If you're here this morning, you need to join this church, you come. Or if you need to come and pray, you come. Let's pray together. Father God, we come before you now just thanking you, Lord Jesus, for this this day that we have set aside to celebrate the day that you make your triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And you make it abundantly clear that you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords and that you have come into Jerusalem to make that declaration known before all men that it's only through you that that anyone can enter into eternal life. You said in John fourteen six, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes unto the Father except through me. And on this particular day, some 2,000 years ago, as you entered into Jerusalem, that is what you made known to every man every woman, every student, every child that was inside that city. And Father, may we, because of what you've done for us, may we go out into this world and make that same declaration that you truly are the only way. And the only way that a person will ever enter into eternal life is for them to repent of their sins and cry out to you to be their Lord and Savior. And so, Father, if there's someone here this morning that has never done that, I pray that this morning they'll make the greatest decision that they could ever make. And that is to begin a new life. 
following after you. Jesus, thank you for leaving heaven full of all of its glory and coming to this earth and dying for us so that we can have life. Father, if there's some here this morning that, that you're leading to be a part of friendship, Father, we invite them to come, Lord, and to, and to make this their church home. Father, move now during this time of invitation. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. If there's a decision you need to make, you come now. If you need to come trust in Jesus for salvation, you come. If you need to come and join this church, you come. As our praise team sings, you come.